you to take your Bible and open it to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, that's where we're headed in just a moment. Context is so important as we read and study and, and preach through the book of Philippians to remember, to be reminded constantly where Paul is. He is not at uh, some easy place where he is at a creative writing seminar or, or he's not at a conference of how to build a strong and healthy church in just three steps. He is locked in a Roman jail, not knowing what will happen next in his life. And he is receiving encouragement from the church, uh, from churches that, that are at work and how God is using them to carry the gospel forward and to carry the mission of the Great Commission forward. And Paul is responding to those churches and he is, he is building them up to try to help them, to motivate them to continue to move forward. Paul is also witnessing himself, sharing about the goodness of God through Christ to the Roman guards who are there overseeing him in that, in that facility and, and, or a cave or a hole in the ground or whatever it actually is. Um, he has not forgotten that the Lord has given him a mission right there where he is. But Paul, just like you and me, is a person prone to fear and worry and uncertainty and Paul is, is battling here in this text with, with, with where does his faith, where does his hope rest? And so as we look here at this text, we, we see three different places where his hope could rest. And, and all of them leading to peace in his life is what he hopes for. It's what is, is being dangled out there. And so on one hand, you've got one group who is the Romans who says, if you will just recant Christ, if you will turn away from him, and you will say, instead of saying, Jesus is Lord, if you will say, Caesar is Lord, then we will bring you peace. We, we will let you out of this prison. But there's another group who says, don't listen to that group, come back to us. Turn away from Christ. Go back to being a Pharisee. Go back to keeping that religious order, those, those laws and regulations that God has given to us that, that we have even enforced on people, come back to that. But yet, there is a third voice in this, in this scenario, and that is the voice of Christ calling, come to me, turn to me. I am your righteousness. I will bring you peace with God. And Paul, here in this cell is left to evaluate what matters most, what will last. And so here in this text, we begin to hear his answer, because if you're going to have peace with God, you can only have it God's way. And we come to understand that, 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 that he has rested in Christ. And so look with me in Philippians chapter 3. 1 through 11, he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, 
of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ." The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The first thing that Paul would have us to see in this text is that the works of man do not bring peace with God. The works of man do not bring peace with God. Paul is addressing a group of Jewish persecutors who are pressuring those in the church who have come out of Judaism to return back to Judaism, to to tell them that the only way that you can have peace with God is by keeping the law, keeping what we interpret as the law, as, as what God has commanded. And so, so circumcision and the, the, the heritage, the, the tribe where you live, the, the fact that, that you do certain religious activity and you don't do other activities, those are the things that bring you peace with God. There is this pressure to turn back to a works-based peace with God. And on one hand, we wish that we could look at a text like this and say, I'm so glad none of us are tempted to do that now. But the reality is that is not the case. Because so often we as human beings want to prove our love with other people by what we do. We go to our spouse and we name off all the things that we've done for you. And we say, what do you mean I don't tell you that I love you? Don't you see all these things? We go to our children and we we name off all these things that we've done for them and all these things that we've provided for them. and, And we say, can't you see all this? Why won't you do what I tell you to do? We we treat our works like like they ought to be able to be traded against whatever it is that, that we need or we want. And the Jews had worked out a system to where if you're of the right house and lineage, that's the heritage, your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, if if all of that is right, if you're doing all this religious activity, if you're you're mindful of that and and, and you're a little bit better than, than your neighbor in keeping it, then surely God will be satisfied with you. And Paul says, look, if that's the way this works, then let me go through my list with you. Because anyone in this room, you show me one and I can give you two that I've done better than you. On and on and on, right? You've known people like that. You just can't best them in anything, right? You have the best of this and they've had 
had that plus five more things. You've been to this special event and they were there plus, I mean, that they were there when they were even planning that, right? You just, you can't, you can't best them. And that's what Paul's saying here. If you want to know how to peace, have peace with God, listen, I'll show you my list of religious activity. I can top anyone at any time. Is that you? When it comes to your relationship with Christ, is that you? Do you think that you will have peace with God because you've been to church a certain number of times, because you've, you've been to Sunday school or Bible study or small group a certain number of times, because you've read so much of the Bible or because you've prayed or maybe because you've given a certain amount of money to the church or some other nonprofit ministry organization? You see, that, that, that's the same, and, and we can fall in that trap to think if God will just look at my card that I've been keeping in my pocket, he will see that he should have peace with me because I've been doing things for him. The truth of that, the problem with that, is that we don't do those things so, so much of the time for God. We, we do them for us. So that God would see us and, and, and would think of how good we are. Instead of it coming out of an overflow of love for God, we're doing it to win over God. And that's not what he's called us to do. That, that's, not, that's not the relationship that he desires for us. His desire for a relationship with us rests in what Christ does for us. And how we depend on him. And then out of that dependence comes our obedience. It's, it's rooted and based in love. That we then turn and we follow after him. Not, not that we come and we bring him all these good things. And we say, God, is this enough good stuff yet? Have we done enough good? And, and the, the beauty of that is what that means. <laughs> is that there is nothing that you have done in a sinful, in an evil, in a rebellious way. That is not forgivable. That God can forgive. If he's not counting on your good works to have peace with you, then that means that even the wrongs can be overcome. That you have done against him or against others. And so he's calling to you to come to him. To place your faith and your hope in him. And so Paul says, I'm, I'm definitely not saying Caesar is Lord. I'm not looking to politics or a particular political party to find peace with God. And I'm not going to look toward my works that I've done on behalf of God because I've discovered something better. I've discovered what God really desires. And Paul will go on here. And the second thing that we would see in this is, is that he says, what I have discovered is that knowing Christ is worth every sacrifice. Knowing Christ is worth every sacrifice. That's, that's point two for the note takers out there. And if you look there in verses seven and eight, he says, but whatever gain I had, all of those things that he listed off, being a Hebrew of Hebrews, uh, born on the certain day, circumcised on this day, born in this tribe, this is my grandpa and this is my grandpa's grandpa, all those things. He says, no, I count all of that as loss. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth 
of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now I want you to hear something in this text. So often we tend to think that we have this wonderful master plan figured out for our lives. And we are driving down the road toward that master plan for my life. And here comes God. And God causes a traffic jam. And he stops and he says, Brandon, I want you to stop driving this wonderful road that you had mapped out for your life. And I want you to come over to my road and ride on my road. And we're caught at this crisis of belief, this crisis of decision. What am I going to do? I had all these plans. I had all these goals. But he's God. I guess I should sacrifice that. I guess, I mean, it's God. What are you going to do? So, yes, God, all of these good things that I had planned, I'll just forget about all those good things and I will follow you. Let's go sing a happy song. Right? That is not the way that Scripture calls us to view what God has for us. God is calling to Paul. I think God has even placed Paul in this prison cell, and I said that the way I meant to say that, as another opportunity for Paul to think about his own life of what what do you value most, Paul? What matters most to you? And Paul now comes to the point, he says, you know, all of those things that I thought would lead me down the path of happiness and fulfillment and success, I count them as rubbish because I have found something better. Better. And that is to know Christ. Now, I want to clarify that for you. That does not mean that you should quit your job And go become a pastor or a missionary. And that's the only way that you can be pleasing to God. And really, if you want to be ultimately pleasing to God, go get yourself locked up in jail. That's not what this text is saying to us. This text is saying that the purpose, the motivation, the relationship, the reason that you live your life is ultimately what allows you to accomplish things that make an eternal difference. The law-keeping, the religious activity that does not bring peace with God is going to come to an end when Paul dies. And it will not make an eternal impact. God is calling us to more than just religious activity. He is calling to use your skill as an athlete for his glory. He is calling you to use your skill in working with your hands for his glory and it will make an impact for eternity. He is calling you to use your ability to think and to speak and teach and communicate or to write 
or to lead people or keep up numbers on books or be a law enforcement officer or, 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 or even be a pastor or missionary, but to do those things for the glory of Christ, not to earn God's favor, but to do them because you have God's favor through Jesus, through the forgiveness of our sins that comes from Him, from His perfection given to us. Therefore, we're not living our lives just to try to impress God and, and make Him say, okay, your scorecard's good enough. Come on in. Not there. But it's to come to a point to where you say, it's only because of Jesus that I have peace with God. Therefore, I can use what you've given me, Lord, for your glory. I think that's wonderful news. You can go hit a baseball for 500 feet and honor the Lord doing it. You can throw the game-winning touchdown pass in the Super Bowl and honor Jesus by doing that. You can invent a cure. Would you please hurry up for the coronavirus and do that to the honor and glory of God? You can preach a sermon. You can write a book. You can wire a house. You can build a house. You can even practice law in a courtroom, as hard as that is to believe. You can do that. The glory of God. And Paul said it's, it's there. It's resting in that. It's worth every sacrifice. Everything that I thought would just promote me and lift me up, it's worth laying it aside. And the third thing he teaches us in this text, rest right on that. Knowing Christ leads to righteousness and resurrection. Knowing Christ leads to righteousness and resurrection. He says in verse 9, Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Again, faith, not works. The only righteousness that brings ultimate peace with God comes to us through Jesus. If I had a gallon jug of water and I just spit in it a little bit, just, I mean, just a tiny little drop, you would not want to take a drink of that water. And so you say, I've got, I've got an ocean full of good works. And I'm telling you, it's an, it's an ounce of your sin that makes it to where God has to back away because God is perfect, because he is holy. We need him to be that. We want him to be that. Because he's God, there is no other authority. There is no other power greater than him. He is the creator. He is the ruler. He is the sustainer of the world. I, I don't want a God that is just, eh, he's pretty good. I want him to be all fully, full of justice, full of righteousness, full of purity, but also full of kindness and love and mercy and grace. I can do something that looks so nice, so wonderful, for such a sinful reason. Right? But Jesus didn't. 
Jesus never did. Jesus lived in full obedience, full humility, full purity, full, full, full love and kindness, even in dealing with hard people in hard situations at all times. And so at the cross, not only what God makes happen is for Jesus to take your sin and my sin and place it on Christ. But what he also does is to say, you know what? His righteousness, his perfection, it is also given to you. So I take your sin. It's, it's the great exchange. God takes your sin, places that on Christ. He takes Christ's perfection and puts it on to us so that when God looks down and sees us, he does see my sinfulness and he sees my wickedness because he's, he's loving me and he's, he's wanting to get that out of me as, as his child. He's, he's trying to cleanse me and purify me so that I, I, I look more like Jesus and I act more like Jesus. But ultimately, when he sees me, he sees that perfection, that righteousness of Christ. And so that's how we're able to sing that song that, that the guys just sang a few minutes ago, that, that we will enter in with him. It's because of the righteousness of Christ. And Paul says that righteousness, that right living, that perfection comes to us only through faith. And I want you to know something, that that was God's intent all the way through. That wasn't just something invented in the New Testament. It wasn't that God rethought how he was dealing with the world, so he sent Jesus in some six, 8,000 years as it moves forward and says, hey, listen, I want to fix something from the beginning. It's not that. It was always through faith. Look with me quickly in, in your Bible at, at Genesis chapter 15, verses 3 through 6. Abraham, who, who, who becomes the father of the nation of Israel. He and his wife Sarah were there at the first Light Seekers concert. And they didn't have any children. And they, they, they went many years and they couldn't have any children. And God comes to him in his advanced age and says, you're going to be the father of a great nation. And he says, God, I don't know if you see this gray hair. Let me just help you with how this works. I'm too old. And God says to him, look with me in Genesis 15, verse 5. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And look how Abra Abram, I want to call him Abraham because that's who he becomes. Look how Abram responds. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. He believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was not Abraham multiplied, produced, was fruitful, Therefore, God counted that as righteousness to him because he grew a large family that would be the people of God. It's not that. It's that Abraham trusted the Lord and obeyed the Lord. And God counted, allowed that to substitute in for righteousness. Abraham acted out of faith to walk with God. That's exactly what Paul is saying. That it is through our faith in Christ that we have peace with God, that we have forgiveness with God. And Paul says that, that once that forgiveness begins to stir up in me, 
And it shows me the value and the beauty of Jesus. And I want to know him. I want to be close to him. Paul says in verse 10, that I may know him being Christ and the power of his resurrection. It may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. When I hear that, I want to know him. Language from Paul. I think about this this story in the Old Testament with a woman named Naomi and her mother, or I'm sorry, Ruth and her mother-in-law, whose name was Naomi. And and, and it wasn't many years after Ruth had become Naomi's daughter-in-law that that her father-in-law, Naomi's husband and, and her brothers-in-law and her own husband all die. And Naomi is left with these daughter-in-laws. And she says to them, just, just go back home. <laughs> I don't have anything for you. I'm a widow. I am alone and I have nothing for you. But Ruth has fallen in love with her mother-in-law. A relationship has formed and is built and is strong. And, 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 and she says not only about that relationship, but because she, she has begun to love the God of her people who are the Israelites. And she says to her mother-in-law, in the book of Ruth, this is chapter 1, verse 16, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Ruth says to Naomi, I want to be with you. You are my family. I love you. I want to be close to you. Don't tell me to leave. I I, I want to be with you. Paul says, I want to know Jesus in that way. I'm not just doing some math equation that says, oh, don't follow the government. They won't lead you to peace with God. Oh, don't follow religion. That won't lead you with peace with God. Ah, here we go. Jesus, that's your meal ticket if you want peace with God. It's much more than that. Paul is in love with Jesus. And he wants to be with him. He has already said that in chapters previous where he said, I am hard pressed. I will stay and I will work and I will serve the church if that's what God desires for me. But if you want to know what Paul wants to do, Paul wants to leave to be with Jesus because that is far better to be with him. Paul says, I want to know him so much that if he he says where you're going to go with me is into suffering, that I will go with him. And that's where he is when he's writing this. There is a peace, that there is a closeness to God, even in terrible circumstances. Friend, that, that, that's how we're called to live our lives with Christ. Is that, that, that we take what he has given to us and we make an impact with it on this world around us, we take his truth, we take his power, we take our lives, and we make an impact for the glory of God in this world. And that's where Paul goes next. It's where we'll be, Lord willing, next Sunday as we talk about being citizens of heaven who are here on earth. But Paul says in the end, where I want to be is with Jesus. There is something that resonates in me that when I hear a song like those 
men sang just a few moments ago. And I know, I know that, that, that like Greg read, that those are words that come out of John's revelation. And so I, I know because I believe with all that I am that the angels in heaven are singing that right now around the throne of God. That there is, there is worship going on that says blessing and glory and honor be to our God. And the book of Revelation says that that goes on and on and it never stops. And, 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 and people join in to sing that song to praise him. As wonderful as it is to hear that, to sing those kind of songs with you here in my heart, what I want to do is to be there, is to sing them to him. Because that will mean that I am with him and I want to be with him. I mean, for real be with him, not just through his spirit at work in me, but to be there. As much as I stand here right now, to be there. And that's rooted out of a, he's my savior. He's my Lord. When I say those things to my wife and and I know I'm not saying them in a way that, that is honoring to her, but is elevating to me, that I'm just trying to get her to do what I want her to do, or I say that to my children because I'm trying to get them to do what I want them to do and, and, and elevate myself and make me look good. He is the one that I go to. And he is the one who says, listen, that's wrong. You need restoration. You, you need to... Come at it in this way. He's the one that that brings healing and and help. That brings comfort and purpose and direction. And I want to be with him. And Paul said the the only reason that that hope will be reality is because of the righteousness that comes to me. The forgiveness of my sin of trying to make my own way And the righteous, the right living that comes to me through Christ. Friend, the Bible says the only way that you can have that righteousness is to repent. It's to turn away from your sin. It's to confess to God that you are a sinner. That you have tried to make your own way to God. But you have come to the point of understanding through the power of God's word, through the power of his spirit at work in us right now, through other people who have worked with you, who have talked to you, who have helped you, that it is not through your own works, actions, rules, enforcement, religious activity, whatever you want to say. It's not through that that brings peace with God. It's only through turning to Christ and asking him to forgive you. And then he calls us to follow him, to trust him, to depend upon him as we live faithfully and obediently moving forward. Is that you? Are you counting on your righteousness to come through some other method? Are you counting on peace with God coming through Jesus? I would encourage you to know that, 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 that children, as, as you go, most likely your parents can talk to you about that on the way home. If you'll tell them, you know, I, I need to talk about what he was saying in there. That your parents or your grandparents, whoever's with you, can help you understand 
know that I'm, I'm going to stick around down front here. I'd be more than happy to talk to you. You stay where you are. You come to me one way or another. Let's connect and let's have a conversation. We have other pastors here in this room, Pastor Greg down here, Pastor Dana up there, Pastor Ed, Pastor Justin, lots of other folks. Um, I, Megan may be in the room somewhere. I can't see um, out everybody because you're all masked up and all that good stuff. But anyway, people are here that they want to help. Pray that you would respond to Christ, not counting on yourself, but turning to others or turn to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness, and Lord, for your grace. God, we thank you that we can have peace with you through Jesus, that we can know him, that we can know the power of his forgiveness. Lord, that we can know the power of life in Christ. Help us now to rest in you, to depend upon you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.